You're listening to the sermon podcast from Christ Community Church in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Our mission is to equip people to be true to Christ, be kind to all people, and be the body of Christ to our community and beyond. For more information on how we can equip you, and for more resources, visit ardmorecc.com. Now, here's Pastor Artie with today's message. The year 2000, and I remember it was the year 2000 because I was sitting in the airport, uh, while I was watching uh, the country go crazy over chads that were not clumped correctly in Florida and they were messing up the election. And uh, just, I think, began a series of elections that we would have to wait weeks or months to find out who actually won. And, uh, and so I was, remember sitting there and I, and I pulled open a, a book and uh, it was one of the first times that I really read about and considered the idea of discipleship in contemporary America, particularly in evangelicalism. And this book was pointing out, and then, of course, after that, there were many other books that were pointing out the fact that we, we had reached a point where we weren't doing a great job with discipleship. And, and one of the diagnoses is, is that when we make discipleship primarily academic, about primarily about information that we have, then we are missing the heart of the radical relationality that is the heart of our faith. And what's such a blessing about being able to gather in a community that doesn't just target market one particular generation, but in fact tries to create space for intergenerational relationships is that we create the opportunities for mentoring to be part of our spiritual formation. And I think that obviously, you know, 87.2% of all statistics are made up on the spot. And so um, I am not saying that this is a scientific statement. This is just an anecdotal response to what I've seen. Uh, Healthy discipleship is about 10% information and 90% practice. I believe that if we would make practice our primary form of spiritual formation, then we would find that there would be the encounters of the Holy Spirit would begin to make more sense because as we learn to follow the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, as Paul says, then we become more comfortable. The more you take take, uh, the courage to listen to the teacher in your soul, the more that teacher is going to instruct you. But you've got to step out and sometimes you have to have that modeled so that you can see how other people have learned to grow in keeping in step with the spirit because some of those practices might be helpful for your own journey but what we know for certain the problem is if your discipleship is primarily through books sermons and podcasts then you are being discipled into a theoretical spirituality And a theoretical or hypothetical spirituality will never have the power to to enable you to encounter the grace and mercy of God in life transformative ways. So I think that we need to all consider as we look at the scripture and we look at the model of Jesus and, and even we look at the model of what we call Christian education in our churches and start considering, is it heavy on just the transference of information or are we actually creating relationships where people can be mentored into the spiritual life by, by doing life with someone else who's a little bit further down the road than them? Salvation is the fruit of a way of life and is therefore best understood through imitation rather than mere information. Therefore, seek a guide and learn to be a guide. Seek a guide 
and learn to be a guide. You remember just a few weeks ago, we were referencing that story that we're all familiar with that Jesus told that there was a wise man that built his house on a rock and the storms came, but the house stood. And there was an, a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the storms came and his house collapsed. There was disaster. And Jesus sums that up saying the difference between the wise and the foolish is this. The wise man heard the words of Jesus and acted upon them. And the foolish man heard the words of Jesus and did not act upon them. Salvation is the fruit of a way of life and is therefore best understood through imitation rather than mere information. Because what God has created us for is to experience what I would call a healthy interdependency. It's not dependency so that it's codependent and unhealthy, but neither is it independent so that we cultivate a life of it's us and no one else and it breeds arrogance and pride and frankly causes us to live in delusion. It's easy to be a spiritual perfect, even a God, when your reference point is only yourself. God gifts us with the gift and he's created us to learn to pursue a healthy inter, interdependent relationship. So I personally don't have the time to learn everything that I, need, that I need to know. I don't have time to go deep into study about everything that really will, will enhance my life and empower me to flourish. I am dependent upon those who are authorities in their field. And I think that we all understand that. When it comes time for uh, an attorney, we're not going to read a Wikipedia article and then say, I've done my research, and so now I can just represent myself. Or we're not going to just, well, we, actually we do do this. Think of the disaster of instead of turning to a medical authority and just reading a few articles on WebMD and thinking now that you're an expert over your health, which either leads you to a dangerous place of not addressing something you need to address, or worse, it leads you into absolute fear and, fear and panic, and you might as well just take the tractor and dig a grave and go lie down in it. But we, so we, have, we, we recognize this in certain fields, that there are people that have been trained. We want to look to those authorities. But, the, but, but what about those people who have given themselves over to be authorities in the art of living? What about the art of living from an awakened awareness of one's highest self that has been hidden with Christ in God? Where are those who, don't, who, do, who do not merely tell me information, but who can model a way of life worth imitating? This is very much a New Testament scriptural per perspective on how healthy discipleship evolves. It happens when there are those who have become skilled in the art of living, those who have given themselves to understand what it means to live from their highest self who is hidden with Christ and God. And then finding those people and, 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 and uh, creating relational connections so that those people can pour into our lives so that we can maybe one day do the same. Imitation is a key ingredient for healthy discipleship. So what about you? How have you found solutions to this dilemma? Who can you point to and say, they are living an authentic life. They seem to embody wisdom, mercy, and love. 
and I would do well to imitate their way of life of faithfulness to Christ. When I asked that question, did anybody immediately come to your mind? Do you have to think about it? But after pondering it, do you recognize that those people are at somewhere, perhaps even on the periphery of your life? Or have we become so radically privatized in our spirituality that it's hard to find models in public of people who are living the spiritual life and to which we can say, I want to imitate at least a particular aspect of who they are because they are skilled in the art of living from the highest self hidden with Christ in God and I need to learn something more about what they've figured out. That should be when we become the community that God wants us to be, that question should be very easy to answer. And if it's not easy to answer, then my friends, we have to listen to what that information can tell us before the Holy Spirit and repent because we've done something very, very wrong. If an intergenerational community can't look and find those people who can mentor us in the spiritual life, particularly in one rooted in Christ and bearing the fruit of faithfulness to Jesus. Well, Paul speaks to this very issue in our next section of Philippians. Philippians 3, 17 through 4, 1. Would you take a moment to read this with me? He writes, join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, and pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you and now say again with tears that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. And they are focused on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ, he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. So then, my dearly loved and longed for brothers and sisters, make my joy and crown in this manner stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I feel like I need to make a quick explanation. I'm only 50, but my body is falling apart. Some of that is visible to those on the outside, but is also crumbling from the inside. And so I have a tooth that is dissipating. And this week I ate a very healthy almond flour cracker, for which I was very proud. But when I bit into the darn thing, the tooth that is dissipating cracked again. Only this time, just for fun, it created a razor sharp point that's pointed toward the inside of my mouth. And so I woke up the next morning and my tongue was hamburger meat. So I'm trying to, I've got it packed with wax and so I'm trying to talk around it, but if it's a distraction, I apologize. I'm doing my best to speak uh, normally. But anyway, so back to the scripture. 
when you look at this paragraph, and there's lots of there's lots of uh, there's lots of uh, emotive language in this paragraph. There are, there are lots of theological reflections about the nature of uh, our future and the and the glorious bodies that we will one day have. I'm looking forward to that myself. Um, nah, I'm pretty content with this one to be honest. This is a gift of being 50 years old. So, um, but if you look through all of it, there's really only three commands in this long paragraph. And it is, imitate me, imitate those who imitate me, and stand firm. Imitate me, imitate those who imitate me, and stand firm. You know, we like to hear those words, those inspirational words to stand firm in our faith, but we so often uh, read those words from a place of individualism. And, and, and it robs us of the real power from what, uh, of the gifts that the church really has to offer, which is finding those who are worth imitating. Now, can you imagine this? Let me, and ask yourself this question. Don't answer it out loud. Would you be comfortable telling someone, imitate me? You'll do just fine if you imitate me. If the answer is no, then we need to recognize and diagnose there's something really wrong with our spiritual formation. Because the expected end of the way we engage with Christ in spiritual formation ought to build within us the confidence, not the arrogance, but the confidence in the grace of God to say, I don't have it all figured out, but in this area, you would do well to imitate me. And I would be happy to share the grace of God that has been shared with me in this particular area of my life. My friends, if we are not comfortable saying imitate me, then our spiritual formation is deficient and we need to engage in new practices that form us into a way of life. And the reason why most of us aren't comfortable with that idea is because Our spiritual formation is all information up here that we know hasn't transferred into the heart and into our lifestyle. But if you do that, then the Holy Spirit will bear fruit. And you know what? That fruit can nourish the people around you. The expected end of salvation isn't my own individualized comfort in knowing that if I got hit by a bus, I would fly to heaven and become an angel. So now that's all I need to worry about. No. No, no, you've been called to join a movement and that movement is not primarily about you, although you respond as an individual. But the end of the day isn't for you to feel comfortable with answering the question, do you know if you would go to heaven when you died? That is not the point. The point is to encounter the living Christ like the apostle Paul did, that you get knocked off your, your donkey, blinded to your old way of living, and you're willing to let Jesus heal you and transform you so that you can then impart that grace into the lives of other people around you. You're supposed to bear fruit that nourishes other people. That is the end game of the end goal. This whole, um, if I were the enemy and I knew the power of the people of God, I would come up with an alternative gospel that's just about them going to heaven. So that then there's no danger of them actually incarnating the love and grace and power of God in the midst of the people that they do life with. But that's what we're called to do. 
So look at this text. Let's follow some of his logic as we walk down it. You guys just bear with me as we go through this. I love you, but I'm not willing to make my tongue suffer because of you. Look at what Paul says. Find people worth imitating and follow their example. Find people worth imitating and follow their example. Now, don't overthink this. You're going to have to trust your intuition because no one is going to be nailing it in all areas of their life. We're all on a journey. But the thing is, we have different temperaments and gifts and strengths that we can lean on one another. And so maybe I've got one area of life kind of conquered, but there are three in chaos and I might need to find someone who's not living in chaos in those other areas and say, will you mentor me? Will you teach me? You look like you've got something figured out here and you're worth imitating and I want to be near you so I can learn how to imitate that. Now, how do you do that? Don't overthink it. Trust your intuition. Let's pause right here lest we overcomplicate this. It's as simple as... Sorry, this wind's got me all messed up too. I'm just a mess this morning. Pray for me, saints. Um... Uh, you ask God to bring the people in your life. And then you reflect on your week because most of the time, I don't recognize those new mentors immediately when they're in my life. It's at the end of the week when I'm reflecting on who I've met, who I've interacted with. When I'm thinking about the prayers I prayed before, asking God to bring wisdom into my life. And then I realize, oh my goodness, that lunch Tuesday at noon, that was someone God's brought into my life that's worthy of imitation. I am not going to ask them to start a class and to assign a book. I'm just gonna see if I can buy them lunch more often and ask questions, will you share your life with me? You would be surprised once you're open to being taught and mentored If you're sincere and you ask the God to bring them into your life, he will begin to bring those people into your life. Now, they may be unexpected. They may be a couple of decades younger than you, or they may be a couple of decades older than you, and you might feel that they can't even possibly understand the pressures and the stresses of your own life. But if you pay attention, and if you listen, and if you take the guts to respond, God will increase the circle of people in your life that are worthy of imitation. And then he says this, not everyone is worthy of your imitation. He says, do not imitate those who live only for the pleasures of the flesh. You see, he said, don't don't imitate the ones whose God is their belly. Recognize the difference between what is inspirational and what is life affirming. No, because sometimes people who can inspire us from a distance, when we get close, we discover, man, their lifestyle isn't life affirming at all. Way easier to be the sage from the stage than the guide at your side. Sometimes those who inspire from a distance live toxic lives of chaos and dysfunction. I think I love to read biography because I do think that that's one of the ways I can be mentored. It's reading the life stories of people who've come before us. But it's always disappointing when I get a new book and I'm thinking about two or three of them that I just remembered the excitement in my heart when I pulled those things off this shelf 
you know, with Starbucks aroma in the distance as I walked through uh, Barnes and Noble, a brick and mortar bookstore. And read these people that have inspired me and find out they don't know how to live a selfless, loving relationship with someone else. Like all the relationships are dysfunction after dysfunction after dysfunction. And then I realized that's not it. I don't want to succeed in this area and then not be able to love the people and support the people and prioritize the people that God has put in my life. So not everyone is worthy of imitation. Regardless of what they know, it is only if they've allowed that spiritual knowledge to begin to address the actual dysfunction of their lives. If they have, grab a hold of those people, buy them a burger or a Reuben, and ask them, can I do life with you so I can learn a little bit of wisdom? Number three, he says, don't imitate those who live for pleasure. Rather, imitate those whose life in the flesh is rooted in the higher experience of living as a what? A citizen of heaven. Now, you know my temptation here. And I'm going to try to discipline myself because we have food across the hall. But it is important for us to pause and acknowledge what Paul is saying here. My friends, we do not become citizens of heaven someday in the afterlife. We are citizens of heaven today if heaven is our homeland and Jesus is our Lord. That's not something in the future. It is right now. And it's a really important right now because what it, he's using the word citizen. Now, this would have been a challenge. In Philippi, we covered this a little bit at the very beginning, but remember, this was not at one time part of Rome, but because after military conquest, they had all these soldiers out in battle, they didn't want them all to come back to the city, so they designated Philippi as a Roman colony that then was populated by some of these um, active or reserve or retired military personnel. So over time, Philippi, Ben, I am so sorry. I was hoping this would just be an attractive Springsteen kind of thing, but it's not going in that direction. Um, So Philippi was extremely proud of its status as a Roman colony. And those within Philippi who were Roman citizens were extremely proud of their Roman, Roman citizenship. Just like some of you are really glad that you're never going to vote one way or the other because one political party, party, party. Yeah, that's about right. That wasn't a Freudian slip. That was a Holy Spirit slip. Because one particular party is supposed to embody the totality of your value system and who you are. What he's saying is your ultimate citizenship is not in the physical land of your origin. It exists somewhere else, somewhere higher and above all of this. And so your citizenry and your politics ought to be informed to that land to which you ultimately belong. And so he says, our citizenship is in heaven. So we imitate those whose life in the flesh is rooted in the higher experience of living as a citizen of heaven on earth. We don't become citizens someday. Today we are citizens. And to live 
as a citizen of heaven, does not require us to demonize life in the flesh. Because so often in religious circles, that's how it's interpreted. I'm not going to enjoy all, any of the pleasures of this life because I'm going to be like a, you know, like a stoic monk and be faithful to God. That's not necessary. You do not have to demonize life in the flesh. Remember, God created a tasty and aesthetically pleasing world in which we are destined to flourish. To demonize it is to disrespect the creator. Look, he could have just said, if you want to live, eat. That's not what he did. He gives us taste buds. So the thing that I have to do to sustain my life is actually one of the highest joys of my life. I mean, can you imagine what a fajita would be without taste buds? Now, we could go on to other areas of our lives that sustain existence that don't have to be pleasurable, but our creator chose to make them pleasurable for his glory and for our good. So he made a tasty and aesthetically pleasing world in which we were destined to flourish. No, all it means to live as a citizen of heaven is to allow the atmosphere of heaven to, <coughs> to season our life in the flesh. It's where the atmosphere of heaven seasons our life in the flesh. You know, we think of the image of a party and often that's something that's demonized, and understandably so. Some very undisciplined and harmful things can happen at parties. But it's also where you'll find the kingdom of God. Brick oven pizza and a good bottle of wine around a table with friends. Where two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. That doesn't just mean church. It might mean a good dinner party where you're doing life and sharing life with other people who are traveling this road of faithfulness to Jesus along with you. This too is the kingdom of God. So the question is, are you willing to trust someone and seek out a guide? But even more importantly, are you willing to be that guide? Are you willing to give yourself to spiritual formation to the extent that you can say, imitate me as I imitate Christ? Because that is the goal. So as we begin to close, let's begin with answering a few questions. Who are you imitating? Not are you imitating someone, please understand this, you don't have an option of whether or not you're being discipled. You only have an option of whether or not you're gonna to choose to be aware of how you're being discipled. For some of you, it's Jesus. For others of you, it's Fox News. For others of you, it's The Guardian. For others, it's your podcast or what's playing in the background on your television set. Some of us are just being discipled by Better Call Saul. You have to be aware of who you are imitating. I'm not trying to demonize that. 
the Holy Spirit can use Better Call Saul to share truth with you. I'm, I believe that. I don't think God's limited. But the point is, you've got to begin with being aware. Uh, who are you imitating? Secondly, who's imitating you? Because there's someone, whether you intend for it or not. Who is imitating you? Here's a challenging question. Is it wise to imitate you? Would you prescribe your rhythm of life to someone else in crisis because you know it will help them? Are you aware of the way you live your life? Because I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about us being aware. Are you even aware of the way you live your life? Are you willing to become the guide that you needed when you were young? It is not uncommon to work with young men and hear them say, I looked for a mentor and I looked for a father figure and I never found one. And I would hope that the church would see that as a call to make some correction. But whether they do or do not, at some point, every young man or woman that I'm working with, the question comes down to, yeah, you didn't get that. And now it's too late. You can't go back and be 28 again and get that. But what you can do is cultivate a vision at 35 to being the person that you needed when you were 28. Are you willing to do that? And then are you willing to then make yourself relationally available to those who would do well to imitate you as you imitate Christ? So my suggestion is this. This is an idea that I've been working with for about two years now. And it came about because I realized that so much of what the church does is spiritual bypassing. We don't know what to do with the person that went through the prayer line and memorized the scriptures and they're still addicted to pornography. We don't know what to do with the person that has repented and went to a revival service but still can't get control of their anger. Let me just say loud and clear from my personal pastoral perspective, sometimes you need Jesus and a good therapist. Sometimes you just need Jesus and a sandwich or a nap. But we over-spiritualize the instruction we give to people almost to the point that we don't even expect it to be practical anymore. Or it's tinged with guilt and shame. It's not enough just to share our wisdom, but there's this understood thing. If you deny my wisdom, then I will reject you. And that is common. I was just talking to someone who desperately needs interaction with the church. And they said, I just can't do it. I love God. I want to find help in the church, but every time I've turned, I've only been met with condemnation if I'm not perfect in responding to what's being said. I don't want to do that anymore. Help me find somewhere outside of the church where I can get help. And granted, sometimes we do. I mean, we're not medical doctors or, psych or psychotherapists, and so there's a place for that. But <coughs> spiritual bypassing is a problem that we need to name. So, I would suggest that you think through getting a mentor, getting a, a, a tribe of mentors 
who can guide you into four-dimensional flourishing. Four-dimensional flourishing. Because it is a mistake to let people think that if you are spiritual, but you're not thoughtful about your health, then your life will be just as flourishing as God intended it to be. Because it's not true. The fact of the matter is, I can flourish in one area and have chaos in two areas of my life. And that chaos will eventually become a cancer that will choke out the good I'm doing in the one area. And so we have to recognize we are total beings and we need to pursue a vision of four dimensional flourishing. So when you're looking for mentors, I would suggest that you think through, you don't have to use these words. I don't really like them, but I'm told that alliteration helps the memory. So in the area of faith, family, fitness, and finances. Faith, family, fitness, and finances. In your faith, ask yourself, is this person spiritually awake? If you're seeking a guide, and if you're seeking to become a guide, then ask yourself, are you aware of living from the higher self that is hidden with Christ and God? Because that's your only source of usable wisdom. What about family? Do they cultivate healthy relationships? Family is just a placeholder word, but beyond just the family relationships, in relationships in general, do they prioritize healthy relationships? Can you see the fruit of that in their lives? Or if you're seeking to become a guide, do you purposely communicate your love for the people in your life? That's all I'm suggesting, not perfection. We're gonna constantly have to go back and say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done it that way. I said something to my daughter yesterday and immediately I texted back that was completely inappropriate. It was none of my business and I feel ashamed. Will you forgive me? That too is healthy relating. It's not not making the mistakes. It's being willing to own them and practice and model humility. So are you communicating your love for the people in your life? And what about fitness or the physical body? Do they honor the temple of the spirit? And again, I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about aesthetics. I'm talking about making choices that liberate the body to function correctly rather than hinder the functioning of the body. That's all. Clearly, I'm not trying to make a case for physical perfection. But I'm 15, I don't care anymore. Sorry, babe. But if you're wanting to become a God, are your choices making your body more efficient or less efficient in doing its job of connecting you to the physical world in life-affirming ways? That's what it's there for. You need it. It is not who you are. You are a spirit who has a soul and lives in a body. But this is the thing that uh, locomotes me. Unless I get the ministry of Philip where I can just transport, I gotta take care of this thing because it's going to locomote me as I seek to accomplish the mission that God has for my life. And finally, finances. If you're looking for a guide, don't just ask for financial stability, but rather, do they practice a stewardship that empowers generosity? And if you are becoming a guide, does your current stewardship empower generosity? 
I'm not saying that it has to be the perfect portfolio. I am just saying, are you learning a stewardship so that you're worshiping in this area of your life in such a way that you can practice contentment and generosity? Not putting a number on that, but as a value, is it bearing fruit in your life? My friends, can you imagine the freedom you would experience if your faith, relationships, physical health, and financial contentment were affirming and abundant? Here's the deal. Most of us are probably really good in one of those areas. If we're lucky, and I imagine these people exist, I am not one of them, there may be those who've mastered, who have mastery in two of those areas. But most of us are not equipped to have mastery by ourselves in all four areas because we're called to live interdependent lives where we get to share our strengths and knowledge with one another and help each other through mutual submission grow together into maturity, into the fullness of who God intends for us to be. And that we recognize we have a healthy theology of the body where we're not going to say the body and the mind and emotions can be healed as long as I'm spiritual. That is not true. You can have faith in Christ and be redeemed and be so emotionally toxic and dysfunctional that you're harmful to other people. It's not enough to just say the sinner's prayer. You have to pursue a larger vision to the person that God's calling you to be, not in perfection, but in submission to the Lordship of Christ. Can you imagine the blessing our church could be if we prioritize holistic flourishing rather than mere ideological conformity? I think we could change the world. I think that we could be the body of Christ at home and beyond. Seems like there's a good mission statement that says that. It won't happen if we compartmentalize and pretend that being spiritual is all that matters. Jesus wants to liberate you into holistic flourishing. He wants to bring you into four-dimensional shalom, not just one or two. Don't sell yourself short and don't discount the power you have to be a mentor in someone else's life in one of these areas. Would you stand with me as the worship team comes forward and we get ready to close in communion? I kept the application generic because I don't want to come up with some kind of narrow legalistic idea that everybody's supposed to follow because I believe there's a teacher in your soul you all have access to inner lucidity if you would just begin to have the courage to question it and respond to it. So that's what I'm going to ask you to do as we take communion, as we play softer music and dim the lights and we come to the Lord's table and we have a moment to reflect, ask the Holy Spirit, in what area of your life do you need to seek out a guide or a mentor worth imitating? But don't stop there. Ask the Holy Spirit how he's equipping you to be a mentor and a guide for others in some particular aspect of life that he's gifted you with wisdom.